Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We're talking about God's omnipotence. We're talking about how he knows everything. We're talking about how he's sovereign over the nations. And that's what this is talking about, that the rulers of the nations, they don't have nearly the kind of control they think they have. And they can just be on the rise and then suddenly they're cut down. And that was true then, and it's true today. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapter 40. Now here's Pastor Brian. So this announcement, behold your God. Now remember the voice of one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist, what what is he doing? Prepare the way of the Lord. And now the announcement is, behold your God. And so God would come to Jerusalem. God did come to Jerusalem. God will come again to Jerusalem in the future. And once again, let me remind you that prophecy these prophecies that have to do with the future, many of them have a near and a, and a distant fulfillment. And so here, as we go through these, these chapters, we're going to see, again, the near fulfillment is Babylon, the captivity, the deliverance from that, the restoration, the coming of Christ is then a, a secondary aspect of it. But then the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom, that will be a part of it as well. And so behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Now this term, the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is is also a, a messianic reference. And when we get to the 53rd chapter, we're gonna see that very clearly because the question is asked, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it goes on. It says, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. So who's being talked about there? Well, the arm of the Lord is revealed and the arm of the Lord grows up as a tender plant. And then as we go on in the 53rd chapter, it it of course is the, the prophecy of the suffering of Jesus, the Messiah. So when we read here about his arm shall rule for him, it's a way of referring to our savior. But listen to what it says. It says, behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Here's his work. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. What what an amazing and beautiful prophecy of what Jesus would do when he came. And so when we think about uh, how the Lord came and, and what did he do? He fed his flock like a shepherd. And as you go through the gospels, you see, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's feeding the people. He's teaching them. He, of course, he's feeding them physically as well. We know from the, the couple of miracles he performed where he multiplied the loaves and the fish. But the reference here is not to that. The reference here is to the fact that he would come and he would feed the people of God, the word of God and that he would gather the lambs with his arms. And here we're talking about that 
compassion that Jesus showed. You know, it's so interesting when you think of who Jesus really is and you think of his greatness and his glory and, you know, the fact that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course, one day everybody's going to know that. But when he comes into the world, it's so ironic that he doesn't come in with a plan to make sure everybody knows that. He's perfectly content for people to not know that in a sense. And he comes and he comes in a very understated way. He comes and he doesn't make a big pronouncement about, you know, I'm the king of kings and Lord of lords. Here you need to worship me. He comes as a shepherd. He comes to common people and he takes care of them. He feeds them. Uh, like, a, like a shepherd feeds his flock. He gathers them. He cares. The, the picture there is that he's giving personal attention. He's caring for people. And, and as we go through the gospels, we see that. We see Jesus. There's so many beautiful pictures in the gospel of, of Jesus having personal encounters and conversations with people. And so often those are surrounding him, uh, blessing or helping or healing them in some way. And so we see that he came and he did that. And then he will gently lead those who are with young. He gathers the lamb in his arms, carries them in his bosom. I want to point that out. The picture here is that he carries them uh, close to his heart. And so, you know, we've seen those pictures of shepherds who are holding a a little lamb. Or you can even think of a, a parent holding a baby and, you know, bringing that baby close there and holding that baby tight. Oh, what are you saying? Just, oh, I love this child. I'm protecting this child. That's what Jesus does. He carries them in his bosom and and then he gently leads those who are with young. You know, this is a picture as well. Jesus is the, he's the ultimate shepherd. You know, the word pastor means shepherd. And so Jesus is the pastor and he's the ultimate pastor. And I've often looked at this passage as kind of a model for pastoral ministry. What does a pastor do? Well, the pastor feeds the flock of God. That's the, the first thing a pastor does. And then a pastor also cares for the people of God. So we might look at it like the pastor feeds the flock of God through teaching them the word of God. He cares for the flock of God by praying for them and giving them personal encouragement from the scripture. But then the pastor also, uh, like a shepherd, leads the flock of God. God gives vision and direction to those that he calls to be pastors. And then they're to lead God's people in that way. But no, they lead them gently, leading them gently. Sometimes as pastors, we can be more like cattle herders. You know, we're thinking that we've got to crack a whip over their heads and we've got to get them moving. But that's not the way of the, of the shepherd. Uh, the shepherd is going to gently lead them. So here we have this description of the ministry of Jesus. And uh, like I said, secondarily, a picture of uh, pastoral ministry. But now this is where the prophecy, you know, Isaiah speaking prophetically and He's talking about the the greatness of God. This is where he really begins to magnify the Lord. And so remember the context. The voice of one cried into the wilderness, behold your God. We're talking about the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand 
measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the, the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who, who has done this? Well, of course, the answer is obvious, right? He's talking about the Lord. The Lord is the one who's done this. But look at what he says he's done. Who has measured the waters? Think of all the waters. Think of the oceans, the great oceans. Think of the seas. Think of the lakes. Think of the rivers. And what about all of that water? What is it? Well, it's just, it's measured in the hollow of his hand. It's like if I were to take this bottle of water, I didn't intentionally put this here as a prop, but it's working right now, so I'll use it. If I were to take this water and pour it into the palm of my hand right here, that's the picture that Isaiah is giving. And what he's saying is that all of the waters on the earth fit in the palm of God's hand. So what Isaiah is going to do here for the people of Israel. Now, remember, this is a prophetic word to those who are in captivity. And so, and they're discouraged. We're going to see that as we get toward the end of the 40th chapter. They're discouraged and they feel like God has actually forgotten them. And so what Isaiah is going to do is he is going to remind them of the greatness of their God. And then he's going to use that to challenge them not to be downcast, not to despair, not to be discouraged because their great God has a great plan for them. So that's what he's doing. But then measured the heavens with a span. Now, the current measurement for the size of the universe, well, let me just say, the measurement for the galaxy that we live in, the Milky Way galaxy, the measurement is a 100,000 light years in diameter. 100,000 light years. Some of you know that light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. So a light year is the distance that light would go at that speed for a year. So you start off at 186,000 miles per second and you go for a year and however far you get out, that's a light year. So the Milky Way galaxy, they say, is 100,000 light years in diameter. The universe, they say, is 93 billion light years in diameter. Now, these are astronomical numbers. I don't even know how you know, they even calculate. I was looking at one statistic today. I was, I was looking at the size of the universe and somehow I got on the age of the universe. And um, not that I necessarily agreed with this statement, but, but it was so interesting to me that the age of the universe was stated somewhere on Google that it was 13.778 billion years. And I thought, wow, 13.778. Okay, so they got it right down to the 0.778. Who in the world calculates this stuff? Uh, I don't know who calculates nine. How do you even calculate 93 billion miles? I don't know. But what we do know is the universe is incomprehensibly vast. And what we also know from what Isaiah says is that he measured heaven with a span. That's basically the distance. Like if you were to take your thumb and your little finger, uh, that the distance there, that's what a span would be. So as far as God's concerned, the universe is fitting there in the span of his hand. And then calculated the dust of, of the earth in a measure, weighed out the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. 
And then he asks the question, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has taught him, Well, of course, the answer is no one. Uh, With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations, all the nations together, everyone collectively are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. You know, when they would weigh things out, they would take a cloth and wipe the top of the scale. You couldn't even see anything on it. But just in case there was some dust there, they would wipe it off. Well, this is the picture. All are counted as the small dust of the scale. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor it's be sufficient for a burnt offering. So Lebanon was a very uh, forested area, and what he's saying is that all of that wood from those great forests uh, would not be sufficient to use for a burnt offering for God because of his greatness, because of his greatness. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't value. Of course, he does, for God so loved the world. But it's just talking about in relation to the arrogance of nations, the, the pride of nations, thinking they're something. God, to God, they're like a, a drop in a bucket, like the condensation on the side of a bucket in the morning. That's what the nations amount to in relation to God. So the Lord says then, to whom then will you liken me? Or what likeness will you compare to him? And now... Here's what the Babylonians did. And the Jews had done this as well. Uh, The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. So, He's describing the greatness of God, and then he's talking about the absurdity of the gods of the nations, because the gods of the nations are the product of people's hands. They're made by a craftsman. They're made out of various metals. They're made out of wood. They have to be fastened so they don't fall over. So Isaiah here is showing them the the absurdity of idolatry. Now, remember, it would be for great idolatry that Israel would, Judah, in this case, would go into the Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians were the masters of idolatry. So they're living in the midst of this idolatrous culture. They're there as a judgment by God, but God is wanting to remind them. Now, because in one sense, even the Babylonians would think, well, Our gods are much greater than your God because we conquered you. (laughs) But the Lord is just putting things in perspective. No, their gods are actually just the work of people's hands compared to me who made the heavens and the earth. And so verse 21, he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. 
He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Now, one thing just to touch on really quickly here before we move on. Notice he says that he sits above the circle of the earth. Now, you know, we've heard people even in our time talking about the earth being flat. There's kind of a flat earth movement that's arisen recently. You can find people on the internet talking about the flat earth. And then, of course, there is the idea that that certain people believed in a flat earth at some time. And, and sometimes when, when some people are wanting to talk about what in their mind is the stupidity of Christians, uh, for example, or people who believe in God, they will refer to them as something like a flat earther, thinking that Christians think the world is flat or did at one time think the world is flat. Well, listen, Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Christ, understood that the world was not flat. He said the Lord sat above the circle of the earth. There are other passages. So the Bible never taught that the earth was flat. So again, we, we see so often how there are what we know today as accurate scientific statements found in the scripture long before the scientific revolution ever came around to codify or categorize these things. And Here's just one example of that. But verse 23, now he's talking about the princes. He's talking about the rulers. And he's talking about the the judges of the earth. They're useless. And then he says this. He says, scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he also will blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. So he's talking about the great rulers of of the world and how they just barely get themselves situated in power and then they're taken away. And And it goes back because the grass withers, the flower fades. This is the glory of man. And it doesn't matter what position you attain in life, you're as vulnerable as the next person. You might be the, the ruler of a nation, but you're as vulnerable as the, the poorest person in your kingdom when it comes to the possibility of, of dying. And that's what the Lord is saying here. So many things in this 40th chapter, we're talking about God's omnipotence. We're talking about his, his power. We're talking about how he knows everything. We're talking about how he's sovereign over the nations. And that's what this is talking about, that the rulers of the nations, they don't have nearly the kind of control they think they have. And they can just, you know, be on the rise and then suddenly they're cut down. And that was true then and it's true today. So to whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things who bring out their host by number. So he's calling them to look at the sky and look at the night sky and look at the the stars and he's asking the question, who created these? Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Amazing. So this past Sunday, we were looking at how Jesus said to us not to worry about our lives. And then we, we took some time to look at, okay, Jesus said that. Now, is that 
something that I can depend on. I mean, well, well, who is Jesus to say that? And then we talked about how Jesus is God who became a man. And we looked at some of the miracles that he performed to, to prove who he was. But then I quoted from those two great passages in the New Testament where they're called the Christological in the sense that they emphasize who Christ is. And in both Colossians chapter one and in Hebrews chapter one, both of them, when speaking of Christ and he being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, he's the image of the invisible God, according to Paul in Colossians. But both of them say that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And so that's really just an echo of what is said here in Isaiah that he calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So the prophet is prophesying to the people in this distress, and he's encouraging them that God is still with you. And not only is God with you, but he's a great, great God. And then he just says, look tonight, go out and look at the stars and just know that every one of those stars, now, of course, they couldn't see nearly as many stars as there are. Uh, we can't either with the naked eye. But again, the scripture knew, even though you could theoretically, with the naked eye, you could count the stars, at least you could count the ones that could be seen. But the scripture always knew and told us in advance that the stars were innumerable. And sure enough, that's exactly what they are. But what we read here is that he knows each of them by name. He calls them by name and not one of them is missing. And so I think we're so, we've been so naturalized by the culture. You know, naturalism is like the air that we breathe. It's the water that we swim in. And so we just tend to think of things in the natural. And I think we fail sometimes to just be encouraged by some of the basic aspects of nature where if we just would look at nature and realize this is God's handiwork. So if I look up at the heavens and I realize the heavens declare the glory of God, this is my God. I am the child and the servant of the one who controls all of these things. Man, that is comforting. That, that is helpful. And that's exactly what Isaiah is attempting to do here for the people of Judah. So verse 27 why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? So this was the mindset of the people. In this captivity, they basically were of the mindset that God doesn't see me and God has forgotten me and God doesn't care about me and obviously God doesn't love me. That's what they were saying. And Isaiah points that out. Why do you say this, O Jacob? You know, there can come times in, in our lives, our circumstances are going to cause us to feel like this. And when that happens, this is where we really need to run back to the truths that are found here in this 40th chapter of Isaiah and beyond.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.